0: Hello, my name is Chris Jones. I'm a poet and I teach creative writing at Sheffield Hallam University. Welcome to the Two Way Poetry Podcast, a bi-weekly series of programmes where I speak to poets about their own creative inspirations and practice. In each show, I invite a writer to talk about a poem that has influenced his, her, their own writing we discuss the work and, in return, my guest reads a poem they have written as a response, however overtly or indirectly connected to this original piece. In this episode, I talked to the poet Angelina de Rosa about how an extract from Seamus Heaney's translation of The Cure at Troy by Sophocles influenced the writing of her own poem, Correspondences the credence of birds. Hello again, and I'm in the my office, and I'm here with Angelina De Rosa. And today we're going to talk about two poems and possibly other kind of little um, influences as well on top of poetry. I think one of the interesting things about Angelina's poetry is that she does use songs and lyrics as well very well in her poems. They sort of feed in. So I might well ask her about that. But our main focus today is on... Angelina's poem, Correspondences, The Credence of Birds. And we're going to look at this poem in relation to a brief extract from The Cure at Troy, a verse adaptation by Seamus of Sophocles' play, Philip Titis. So, Angelina, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Can you remember when you first came across Heaney's play, The Cure, of Troy?
1: Um, there's a receipt in the book. Maybe I can tell you <laughs> if it's the right receipt. Um, yeah, it was the 5th of February, 2020. I don't know if that's the first time that I came across it, but that's the time I bought this copy of it. So let's go with that.
0: Have you seen it performed?
1: No, no I haven't. I'm not sure I've seen any of the the sort of ancient stagings. I've read about them, I've listened to radio programs of them, but I don't think I've seen one.
0: Okay. And was there a particular reason why you picked up the Cure at Troy? Was it just interest or was there a, a kind a of bigger motive?
1: Maybe I'd been reading around the area. It might have been when I was looking at um, HD's Helen in Egypt. So maybe I was down that down that road anyway, thinking about the the kinds of the mythologies and the the stories and the tragedies and all of these these ways of seeing the world. So maybe that's when it grabbed my attention. I've read other. Poets' translations of various things like this. I don't know, this one was, I don't know, caught me. Maybe it was just a collision of the right thing at the right time that made it stick.
0: So you're going to read out just stage directions, which I find really intriguing. Yeah, That it's stage directions that kind of, that prompts you to write your, your poem.
1: Yeah, but they're beautiful stage directions, aren't they? So
0: they are. Yes, they are. I mean, they are, well, we'll come on to that one. I think you should read it first, but um, where does this footnote or this, these stage notes, Are there, is it this is at the start of, of the play?
1: Yeah, they are at the start of the play. And I mean, the play, I mean, it's got links around colonialism and these sorts of things and these big subjects that are obviously transferable to different times and different places and you know i i have been again so i suppose with the helen in egypt that crosses over there as well and it crosses over the things that i was thinking about around some post-colonial ideas but i wasn't necessarily thinking oh this will help me to write about colonialism it just sometimes language just makes you want to write stuff doesn't it it does and it connects with the things that you've been thinking about and if all of that marries together then maybe something good will come out of it or something beautiful or something interesting but it's not going to be a direct this is about this or this relates to this in any clear way that you can just say oh yeah no i see where that's going yeah,
0: no, I, I understand that.
1: It's not where, how writing works, is it? Or no,
0: no, it's not at all. We're like, I think writers are like sponges, really. Or they're like magpies, to, to mm. bring in the, the the bird metaphor early. I think mm. writers are quite like magpies, really, and they, they like shiny things that they can pick up and play with and then sort of move on to the next shiny thing, really.
1: Mm. And just see what happens.
0: Yeah. Do you want to read the, the, the stage notes?
1: Yeah. The seashore. Spacious fetch of sea light. Upstage right, from audience's point of view, rocks piled. Cliff face. Grass tufts. Stunted bushes. A cave mouth archway visible up there, with small acting area at that level. A sort of strewn pathway coming downstage, forking towards acting area. Access to cave mouth possible from this point. Access to second entrance of cave is off stage right. If a volcano can be suggested in background, all the better, but it should not be overemphasised. Chorus discovered. Boulder still. Wrapped in shawls. All three in series stir and move, as it were seabirds stretching and unstiffening. The prologue can be divided between the three voices. By the end of the prologue, chorus leader has positioned herself where she will speak as Hercules at the end of the play.
0: Hmm. Thank you very much for that.
1: It's the impossibility of some of the staging. It made things possible in terms of how you might think about approaching writing like this. Like the idea that I could write a poem that was sort of a play but isn't really a play. Yeah. A monologue. And how you could have stage directions where I can Visualize how this might work. You could use this, but it also has aspects of it that actually, how would you use that as a as a as a director yeah. trying to create this on a on a real stage? It's it straddles that kind of line of possibility. Mm. I may have overstepped.
0: Well, the line with mine. Yeah, we'll come to come to that soon, but your poem soon. But it seems to me that he's he's both kind of he knows how he wants it staged but he's also trying to be accommodating at the same time mm. it's an interesting kind of tone that he adopts
1: yeah there's a suggestiveness to it isn't there that allows for the visualization of it and then give space for somebody to realize it in uh, in their production because
0: he says things like if if a volcano can be suggested in background all the better mm-hmm as if the, the theatre company couldn't afford to put a volcano <laughs> in the background, you know, paint the volcano in the background. Yeah. Like, it's kind of quite generous, isn't it? Or kind yeah. Of, you, know.
1: you can, well, maybe it's generous or maybe it's actually really s- specific. Like you, you could create the image of a volcano in the background of a production fairly easily, but it could look quite terrible as well couldn't it so yeah do it but don't do it if you're gonna do it badly yeah well that's what he's
0: saying. possibly what you're right that's possibly what he's saying really he's, he could be actually being quite stringent in his in his sort of level of um veracity hmm. in what he what he wants to seen on the stage i mean you're right i think that, that there is a sort of music to not you know it's not even he's not even got to the verse drama yet, but he says thing he says a, a phrase like spacious fetch of mm. sea light. And that's and that's poetry, you know, that's a kind of that's a little sort of modernist poem, isn't it really?
1: Yeah.
0: You know. One one line, one sentence.
1: A sort of strewn pathway. Like a lot of thought, this isn't just somebody throwing some directions out. There's a lot of thought gone into the yeah. language to express it.
0: No, I think that, uh, yeah, I could see that.
1: It made me think of other plays that I've seen as well. I think I saw Damon Alban wrote a, a an opera, an English opera. Did he? What was it called Dr. D? Something like That's that. That's right, it was. And I yeah. saw it at Manchester. And yeah, it was, and it was a really amazing. Thing to watch. I, I did buy the record, and I don't think I've really listened to it since then. But as a as a visual and audio kind of marriage, it was really amazing. But it started; everything just went really, really quiet, and then they had like a crow that just flew from the back of the auditorium and up onto the stage, and that's how it that's how it opened. And then suddenly you were there, and it was all happening.
0: A cr- a crow.
1: It was a big black bird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you. <laughs> I'm. I'm no ornithologist, but it was so a big bird. So it was trained.
0: Bird. A train bird. Yeah, yeah, and it. Yeah, so it wasn't and that's like how it began. It wasn't like a kind of construction of a bird.
1: No, it oh, was an oh, actual was bird.
0: R- amazing. Oh, I really like that idea.
1: Yeah, it was re- really effective, and has stayed with me because this is years ago that I went to see this. I couldn't mm. tell you when it was, but yeah. um it's stayed with me.
0: I suppose there's a few things that, without preempting your poem too much in you know in this part of the in this part of the podcast but but it's this bolder still that I pick up on in your piece bolder Mm. still becomes a kind of key bolder becomes a key kind of a key word yeah an anchoring word in your piece
1: yeah so and I really wanted to use the phrase bolder still like I can't I'm just stealing it and I thought well if I just if i say it's not my phrase then i can use it can't i yeah.
0: <laughs> well there's you you talk about the 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 chorus and you talk about the boulder and the boulder is the boulders are there hmm. higgledy piggledy and there's the man with the bouldering mat and then there's very. but the boulder comes back doesn't it you know again we'll we'll see that later on but I like how you li- how you've lifted a particular word I think or a particular phrase and how you've kind of stitched that through your own poem
1: yeah and like this is, it's a while ago since I wrote this poem and I think coming back to it for this I had forgotten how much of the opening of my poem sits with that opening of of the play like the shawl and and I knew that there was things in Heaney's description that I'd I'd wanted to carry into this and maybe use a little bit differently, but they were beautiful images and I, I I wanted to, I wanted to hold them. So I popped them in there, the shawls and the stretching and those sorts of things. But the poem itself is my poem. Like I, there's a whole bunch of other stuff in there that comes from all kinds of other places and things that I wanted to express. So I did feel this was very much my poem, but how much is it's taken he needs to get all of that to come together for all of these other things that I was thinking and experiencing and listening to and, and yeah. wanting to express or didn't know I wanted to express, but worked out through writing this poem that made all of those things align so that they could create something coherent and something that belonged to me.
0: Mm. And did you mind taking you from Heaney in a way? I've, you-
1: I've said it. So I think that's, that makes it okay. I would, I, if I hadn't, used the phrase, if I hadn't used his name in the poem, I would have, I would have, I would have lost sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I would, I would feel very uncomfortable about the poem and it would, it would spoil it for me. So once I'd realised that, well, I can just say that's his and then point to his work and then that would make everything Okay.
0: It's so. a conversation, though. I mean, I think one of the things about well, the reasons why I've done this podcast is because I think poems are in conversation with each other more than we think. And one of the issues pe- people have with poetry is that they don't have an understanding, possibly, of what conversations are happening. Mm.
1: Possibly, and I—I I mean, that is it. It is part of a a, a big. I don't know quilt work of of writing and things that you've engaged with separately to anybody else. You know they might have engaged with the same thing, but in a different way. And poetry is full of it, and my work is full of all kinds of lines and ideas that have come from somewhere else and then gone somewhere else. Like my poor old Maggie Nelson, she's all over the place yeah. working, and, <laughs> and I don't have any kind of problem with it because that's, that's that's it's a good thing. It's not a it's not a problem. It's it's a positive yeah, a positive aspect of, of creativity and, and it's enjoyable and, and it's enjoyable if you see it in other people's work and, you know, no, none of these things exist in a vacuum, but I do stress about it. I do stress like, and sometimes I'll write something and I'll, and then I'll message my friends and say, this, I've, I've come up with this phrase. I really, really like it. I think it's really good. So I think I've heard it someplace else. <laughs> and can you tell me, have you read this somewhere? And like, I will message everybody to try and work out where I've stolen this phrase from and nobody knows it and I have just potentially maybe I have just
0: created thought it. of it yeah
1: but I like yeah no I, I worry about that sort of thing and I I think oh, I can't put my finger on where I've heard this before and yeah people get really random messages from me asking
0: mm. I mean yeah crypto crypto amnesia is a particular issue I have and I know I've used phrases and lines and poems and then realised afterwards that they were from people from poets that I'd been reading recently,
1: mm. I think um, I think you did a a seminar that I was in, and you 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 said yeah, use this line and yeah, and then I realised oh, yeah. I'm having the this.
0: Sam Maguire line. Probably that's the is uh, it
1: yeah
0: <laughs> from a poem that she wrote called Watershed, which is one of my one of my favourite poems. Yeah, I just. I just love the line.
1: Is that something to do with flat heat? The
0: flat heat of the afternoon. There we go. Yeah. That's that's years ago. It's in, yeah, it's in a poem of mine. Yeah.
1: I always remember that about you and the acer tree. So.
0: Oh, the acer, yeah. In the garden, which we still have.
1: That's good to know.
0: Yeah. It's still burning red.
1: There is. I mean, uh, this goes off Heaney a little bit, but the, just talk about influences. The, another idea that comes back to me is about um, the absence, that the pattern of things that's left behind from an ad ab- that creates the presence of an absence, Yeah, suppose. I know that's in here, but it's in loads and loads of things that I write, and that comes from Jane Kenyon.
0: Right, okay.
1: And someone lent me a Jane Kenyon book, and it was fine, but I, I I didn't go away loving it. I haven't gone off and bought my own or anything like that apart from this one poem that had this the, I don't know, the grass was the cows had been, they'd gone away. It was, it was a really, really lovely idea and image and I just enjoyed that presence of an absence idea.
0: So the grass in this so the grass in the, the poem you're about to read oh. is that from Jane Canyon then? Yeah, is? yeah. So I think, yeah, I think collage I think uh, patchware, I think patchwork's a really good way of looking at poems you know so many writers use that kind of patchwork
1: things just stick don't they I mean that book must have been lent to me 13-14 years ago I returned it which is unlike me but I did return it and it just it's, it's an idea that has stuck around and is part of the way I think about things now
0: do you write notes do you have like a, a, a day book or a writing no. book that, where you write particular phrases? Or- no.
1: And I don't like the idea. I know that lots of people do it and that's good, but partly don't like it because I don't know, you just have lots of notebooks that it would just create a lot of clutter that I wouldn't know what to do with. But also my my thoughts are that once I've written it down and put it down somewhere, it's not in my head doing any work anymore and how can it meet something else? If it's no longer in my head, it's over there in that notebook over there. Yeah. It can't meet anything. It's, dead on the page yeah if it's in my head how wherever randomly it is it will pop up when it's needed and meet the thing that i'm currently engaging with and spark something new
0: yeah i think
1: either that or i'm just a bit lazy and don't want to
0: make no it. i think i think i have similar kind of feelings about keeping notes mm. I'm, I'm very laxydaisical when it comes to writer's books or writing down things that people say lectures or things I've heard on the radio.
1: Yeah. And I don't think, how, how am I supposed to know what it is that's going to be the thing I should keep until it's all filtered through and the bit that's left is what you're left with and then it meets something else? Yeah. I'd, I'd probably just write the wrong things down anyway.
0: I think memory is important because the things you remember are the things you can eventually write about. Yeah. You know, and
1: they're going to come out perhaps not how they were, but how, how it stuck with you is significant in some way. It yeah. meant it means something to you specifically because of the way it's recurred in your memory or been distorted in your memory.
0: Mm. but I think it's really playful that you use stage the stage notes rather than the poem itself as a mm. kind of springboard. I yeah. really like that, kind of um and you use it f- as a as a way, a means by which you can sort of shape your poem as well, because it is a kind of play, isn't it that you are? Yeah,
1: yeah, I've used the structure in a way that yeah i was I was excited to think that I could do something with this because I don't know I think maybe I was coming towards the end of a writing phase and was excited to find something new that I could play around with I do write a lot of poems that use prose poetry maybe not in its entire entirely prose poems and maybe it incorporates other things or I have lots of sections of things and fragments sort of that work together in in ways. And so this was a new way to structure it, but use some of the things, some of the ideas or some of the the strengths that I think I have going on at any particular time or at this particular time. And yeah, it was exciting to find another way to approach approach the writing and structure it and see what happened.
0: Before you read it, before you read the poem, could you um say a little bit about the idea of correspondences? Because it's it's a word that's I'd say sort of central to your
1: that's just because I keep using it.
0: <laughs> central to your uh, project.
1: So I mean I, I, this started a while ago some years ago. I had poems that were fairy tales and they you know stretched the idea of what a fairy tale might be. I don't know if everybody would agree that they're fairy tales, but it it seemed to allow me a space. I could write within and it was it it was like this safe cave of a space so that I could play around with ideas take them in different directions but then come up across some edges but it was an imaginative space that was new to me and so every time I started writing a poem and it seemed to be want to be in that space I put fairy tale at the top of it yeah and that that allowed me to to run with it so putting that at the top you know when you don't have a title and you terrified you're never going to have a title you can just put that there and it created this space (laughs) and so i did that and i did that and i numbered them and then after i'd done numbering them or after i'd finished that book i think it was so
0: it's envies the birds your your first collection
1: then i moved on and i you take a break don't you you've done this piece of work and then you've got to stop otherwise you're just going over the same ground and it's all derivative of what you've done before and it's all just a bit terrible so stop that do something else for a while okay so I did that and then I went back to writing a fair bit later, maybe maybe a year later, and um, I'd done other things in the meantime, maybe written some reviews and that sort of thing. And then when I went back to it, I still needed this space and ended up with these poems that were doing something different and they were using maybe slightly different forms but still seemed to want to be in this space. So I popped fairy tale up and thought, oh, I can't keep numbering them. I, don't. I liked the idea of the numbers because it created gaps so you could have this number and this number, and it created this gap between, you know, four and twelve, or whatever. You've got a gap, and it suggests yeah. that there's something happened here. But I don't ever share what it is. So that's there's happened
0: there. six, six fairy tale number sixteen, I think, in the Mv is the birds, and there's fairy tale number seventeen in correspondences, and that's there's the gap as well. The gap of the books, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. So you write you write sequences over books as well as over. Yeah. But as well as the gaps are not yeah. only there and
1: They're know. all carried over and like there's, there's other sequences as well. So the reason I've gone to think about this fairy tale space is that's the first time that I have this idea of having poems that use a themed kind of title, like fairy tales or correspondences, but then I'll have different poems and the poems, it allows me that space without having to say what that space is to anybody else. I don't have to explain it and I don't have to make one poem. Carry on from the last poem, even though they use the same title. Yeah, because they also have slightly different titles. So the fairy tales, whatever. Yeah, correspondence, credence of birds is one of many correspondences poem, and it creates yeah. a space where, yeah, I think it's it's a similar idea, but it's a slightly different space to the fairy tales one. And there's a postcards sequence as well that carries over and continues into the next lot of stuff your next book book, as some people call it Uh, yeah so correspondences yeah there's a slightly different space and I don't think it's, it's it's not genius there's some there's some correspondence going on between either people or things or some idea of a person or some I mean this sort of says maybe it's themselves so there is that kind of correspondence I don't think I've done something amazingly I don't know genius with it, but just used it as this space that allows me to think in this way. And if it, if it seems to be going down that road, then popping correspondences at the top helps me to explore it further.
0: But it also feels like you're talking about correspondences in terms of a letter or uh, a form of communication.
1: Yeah. So I've, I, I think the correspondences one started when I was doing work. I had a job that I wasn't in Sheffield. And so I think the distance that that created meant that I had a need of this, this way of communicating in this space. And, you know, lots and lots of things happened over that time. I became a grandmother amongst other things. And so lots of things for me to work out what it is I thought or felt about. I don't know what I think or what I feel until I'm writing it down and mm. figure it out so it's just you know, it's just good mental health care isn't it to yeah to do this so that i am aware of what it is i'm thinking and feeling and doing it in this correspondence space was really helpful as well as creatively useful
0: mm. could you read the poem out please
1: correspondences the credence of birds a grit stone edge Boulders higgledy-piggledy with sprouts of purple heather, no sun to speak of but light diffuse and silver, an evenness to it. Maybe rain, if there's the wherewithal, or a sort of shimmer to the flattened grass as though rain has been, an absence left. A man in a red anorak, a bouldering mat folded on his back, walks quickly right to left. If Heaney's chorus of bolder still birds beginning to stretch from under their shawls can be made as lovely as he wrote it, do it. Pheasants. Falcons. A spray of meadow pippets darting out from their hair and hands. Chip, 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 chip. A woman climbs the rocks towards a platform stage right with a silhouette of an ancient fort just about suggested. The bird song continues. Eck, 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 eck. But she is alone. Perhaps she addresses herself. Or perhaps someone else, someone absent. No questions, but the fractals in the bracken, their green mathematics transposed as music, the closing cadence that resolves the song. She I might believe that a kingfisher strung upon silk can predict the weather or that placing the semen of a pigeon on someone's shirt can make that person love you. You think it's wild, but you believe time runs as the crow flies. Take the roses replanted to my new house, those roses that know a home before this, my young son, the woman I was. Its stems grown long and winding through the pale fuchsia, the fuchsia with its pale pink memory of a previous owner. The latitude of these two recollections mapped in space, in gradients, and tangled into a grammar of now, or here, the woman I am. I would send you their late bloom like a temple tumbling into the sea, to keep in your wallet with the present tense and the half-built. A botanical representation of time, the ongoing of what's gone inscribed in the ground underfoot. Chorus. Sip, 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 sip. A cage in the side of a boulder opens. A Japanese tip flies out and across the water. A stone arch at the back of the stage, where the river runs down to the orchestra pit. Hanging from the stone, an iron hook and a small bell. The bird rings the bell and collects a folded piece of paper that could be your fortune from the hook, flies into the gods. Let it go. She. I would send you John Cale's big white cloud. After all is said and done, everything is just like it began. But time flows one way, whatever leaves it gathers in its talons, and to predict is to look back, to believe that autumn will cause the trees to redden. Bergson says that what we express is the dead leaves floating on the surface of the water, the various and fugitive reduced to the same handful of words, as though love isn't changed by having loved. I don't know what this means for us. Perhaps that's the point. The reds and golds were always there. It's only that we see them now. Everything's clear. Everything's bright. To leave this unspoken way of being unspoken, and so unchanged by language that can only approximate how it feels. To dream in birdsong the water trickling down from the moors. The chorus boulders huddle against the cold. Chi-chi, chee, chi-chi. Chee, chee, chee. Light fades to black. Ek-ek,
0: Thank you very much. So it, it, there is this focus on stage, stage directions, isn't there, at mm-hmm. the start? There's, yep. there's, there's, there's definite kind of Interest in in Haney and there's the same sort of possible
1: and quite a lot of the same rhythm, like a seashore, a gritstone edge. I just wanted to find my way in, and that was, that was. I mean, it's obviously located around these parts, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, just moving that, that imagery to something that is more familiar to Sheffield.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like. With the fort that sort of suggested, like the volcano, I thought that might be Carl Walk, Mm. which is um, not far from Higatore and Burbage. I don't know whether that's.
1: I spent a lot of time at Burbage, and it's a good place to go for any kind of, you know, resetting of yourself. So.
0: So do you climb?
1: No, no. I've got the upper body. Well, I am a grandma, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) got no upper body strength, is what I'm saying.
0: So there is, I mean, I think the, the narrator, she is. A, she. Feel, it feels like she is about to climb or about to set off on a route.
1: Yeah, yeah, she is.
0: Um, I do like the man coming in the red anorak, which is very kind of strong image, really. Walks quickly right to left. I really like that kind of specificity. Mm. And then you have, obviously, if chorus of boulder still birds beginning to stretch from under their shores, can be made as lovely as he wrote it, do it. And I, I that's, you know, I think that's, it's a sort of wonderful appropriation, really, of his kind of um his own flight, flight of fancy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, it is lovely, and I wanted to point to that. And the idea that, because I, I think the the question in my head was, it can't be made as lovely as he wrote it. Mm. So, the phrase, if you can do this. If you can do this well, then do it. But you can't, so don't do it.
0: Right? Okay. <laughs> is
1: is the kind of the subtext going on in my head there?
0: So is that so, a form of absence then,
1: or a form of? Yeah, maybe. And just the recognition that you know, I I think I've 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 written a decent poem, but you can't you can't write somebody else's poem. You can't just take something that was that lovely and then do it. So it's it's just that sense of. Things are what they are, and in their place is is perfect, and that's where they belong.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got the same sort of generosity with the maybe rain if there's the wherewithal. As if, yeah. Again, I really
1: like the word wherewithal. I always just it's like a great to get word.
0: <laughs> it is a great word that you know. I think should be used more, but I, I kind of like that kind I'm of sense of
1: trying to bring it back.
0: This sense of you know, if if there's if you can muster. Your your forces or the energy, then we can have rain. Yeah, but if not, then then we'll let it pass. You know, I kind of like really like that kind of playfulness. Um, so one of the things that kind of interests me is whether she's talking to herself or to someone else. And you leave that open. I think you leave that open.
1: I definitely leave that open
0: because I think that's there's sort of ambiguity in this poem, and it's aware of its own. I think this poem is aware of its own ambiguities. I think. Yeah. So it's not something that's you know, it's something that's inbuilt into the poem. So there's that sense of that there being possibly someone there that she's talking to, or possibly she's talking to herself. So that problematizes maybe problematizes all that kind of makes the you more of a more floating in the poem. Because sometimes she's I think she's probably might be addressing herself and sometimes she's addressing someone else. Or maybe she's doing both at the same time
1: maybe there's somebody there and she's ignoring them and uh, <laughs> talking to herself it's not a question that you know I want to answer and um, because it's part of the it's part of the makeup it's part of the personality it's it's kind of key to everything so to answer it would to, to make it one or the other would reduce the potential for the significance of it I think
0: yeah I think yeah I could see that what well, you say no questions bar so I think you you also mean no answers as well, really?
1: Yeah, I always mean that, don't I? But
0: or no no easy answers. No anyway. easy
1: answers. So I mean, I don't know. You go to lessons where people tell you how to write things, and there's always the. <laughs> I don't mean you particularly. <laughs> Not no, <from> no. Just... <laughs> I think I think
0: there is an issue with, with the idea that you are told how to write. I think people are told how to write. Yeah,
1: but. The people talk about leaving space for the reader, which is a fair a fair point um and definitely, I would want to do that, but I don't think that is necessarily all I want to do, so the reader's going to bring you know whatever baggage they've got going on to the poem and, and it's going to affect how they read it and no matter what you did, even if you nailed down every meaning that you wanted to nail down they would they would still bring their own stuff there and it wouldn't be how you imagined so there's no point trying to do that and I wouldn't want to anyway it'd be very boring but it's or, not all
0: limiting I think possibly
1: rather than boring
0: y- yeah I don't do you you'd say boring would you think it's, oh, I did say boring yeah <laughs> fair <laughs> enough boring uh, for you and boring for the reader
1: yeah so if so yeah if you know what you were if if I knew what I was going to write before i wrote it it would be a really boring process and i probably wouldn't bother to do it okay there'd be no need because i already knew what it was i thought and i i would do something else there's lots of other things to do i do this because i don't know and it's exciting and it's interesting and i'm going to discover stuff and i could live without that discovery i'm sure but it's it's a, it's a it's an energetic process and and it's surprising and i enjoyed that aspect of it to, to, the poem isn't just leaving room for the reader to think about whether or not somebody is there. It's thinking about that the poem it doesn't know whether there's somebody there or there could be somebody there or there might not be somebody there. And so that query, that question mark over it isn't because I want the reader to answer it necessarily. They can, if yeah. they want to, they can do whatever they want. But that isn't the point of it necessarily or the only point because I think the question is, central to the poem so we yeah so leaving room for the reader is is part of it but actually i'm not asking them to decide yeah i'm asking that we keep that space open
0: that's that's an interesting yeah i like that idea so in your notes you sent me some notes you know, when you said the poems, you sent me notes as well.
1: I think there were more ramblings as to why I hadn't replied sooner, and it's the thought processes <laughs> that had stopped me from. But being in, able in to those, do it.
0: No- but in those notes, you do mention Tim Burkhead's uh, book, "The Wisdom of Birds." Yes, and I've, so that interested me. the idea of using kind of factual, scientific kind of, although it's, it seems to me he's talking about if you, you know, this, you're using folklore perhaps
1: well he's got a section of folklore in there the the sort of the the Japanese tit and the pigeon seamen that sort of thing yeah the kingfisher
0: and the and the the the, the pigeon semen yeah
1: yeah it's all from the book and yeah again it's these things that you carry around with you and go back to and then it one day it collides with something that makes it valuable in your creative process I don't like to, I enjoy reading factual things and how that might spark an idea and take it off in another direction. But I very rarely take that idea and write about it because then all you've done is write a poem that says, I read this thing and I thought it was interesting and hopefully you do too. Hmm. Whereas if you hold on to it for a while and it might be a week or it might be years, there'll be something else that comes along. That sits with this other thing that you've read about and you found out about in a again in a way that surprises you and sparks off something that's interesting. So you will write about the factual thing, but at a slant.
0: Mm, So it is it is a correspondence.
1: It's a correspondence.
0: Mm, Yeah, but I mean, a bird comes back later in the poem, which I think is what you're particularly good at is kind of threading the the poem through. And it's it is a. Um, I mean, you haven't mentioned it briefly, but it is a it is a prose poem with little with detail that you've kind of in, sort of planted or seeded earlier on in the poem, and little bits come back. Yeah. So you got the bird in the in the second paragraph or the second verse that involves she, but time flows one way. What whatever. Leaves it gathers in its talons and sprit is to look back. So again, we've got the idea of the bird, mm. this time as as time.
1: Yeah, I think it's like spinning plates, isn't it? You have like the bird plate over here, and it comes back, and then you spin it over there. But Henry, oh, I'm sure you don't pronounce it like Henry, but Bergson wrote about you know he had a big philosophical ideas around time, and he uses that idea of the leaves floating on the on the surface of the water. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've robbed that too.
0: It's a very fine image, I think.
1: Yeah, Bergson uses it as imagery to exp- to explain an aspect of his philosophical idea. Mm. And yeah, I, it's just something else that stuck with me, and something I'd been thinking about in relation to Hope Murley's Paris poem that had been reissued not too long before i was writing this
0: mm. yeah go, go briefly back to the, the japanese tit and what what did you i mean it sort of breaks the frame of the poem doesn't it
1: in the same way that damon Albarn's potentially crow
0: yes <laughs> yeah so far the details that you've used are all you could expect to see a pipit, you know a pheasant around the slopes of Burbage possibly mm-hmm. and Stanage and, you know, but then the Japanese tit appears from out of a boulder, a sort of magical realist, well, magical realist moment or a kind of um, a, a surrealist moment. Why did you bring that in?
1: I I was enjoying the form and what it allowed me to do. And I wanted to make it push that boundary a little bit, a little bit further, a little bit beyond what's. What like a Japanese tip flying out of a boulder? It's it's just daft, isn't it? But yeah, I enjoyed that that shift. Mm. I suppose that sort of taking it that one step further, and I enjoyed the idea. I, I think the I think the ringing a bell to get your fortune. I don't think that's my original idea. I think that might be in the um, bird book as well, and I wanted to have it. So, mm.
0: so, I, so no like i really like it i think it just again it kind of it's unexpected we we as readers we go along with it i think mm. you know readers readers can be hypnotized by by language by the yeah
1: and, i think the poem coming up to that has sort of earned this potential to have something impossible happen yeah and to take it that bit further i yeah, the Japanese tit is out of place, and but then so is so is a lot of the, a lot of the ideas around that were around in my head. Writing this created that potential for being out of place.
0: Yeah, but also there's an artificiality to it, and it is a play that you're writing, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, it says here a japanese tit flies out and across the water a stone arch at the back of the stage where the river runs down to the orchestra pit
1: i mean who would want to be in that orchestra pit
0: <laughs> but again it's that kind of taking the it's the logic to its uh, to its end, you know uh, and
1: what i uh, one of the things i enjoy about that bit is it does create this very unlikely stage production But then the bird, it only flies into the gods, which is suggestive of something much bigger and into the, you know, heavens, but the gods in the theatre brings it back to that smaller space. And I quite enjoyed that.
0: Double. Yeah.
1: Felt quite pleased with myself.
0: That doubleness. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like the, the sort the of chorus, the voice, because the heen talked about the idea of voices, and I think there's definitely kind of these different voices that kind of polyphony that kind of you you play with in the poem. I suppose one of the main themes in the poem, which I've not really touched on yet, although we have, well, we have touched on a, a bit, uh, is the idea of time. And so you, again, it's this you offer two alternative. Viewpoints or the poem offers two alternative viewpoints of time. So you've got the, again, I'll I'll come back to the text. You think it's wild. Again, it's that problematic you or that ambiguous you. You think it's wild, but you believe time runs as the crow flies. So in a straight line, Mm -hmm. that's one idea of time, which, and then the other idea of time that is perhaps cyclical or circular that's, that you find through the use of, flowers and plants
1: mm. yeah and a lot of my writing seems to do that it seems to return to that idea i i don't know we as people don't we aren't we all just going around in circles but sometimes the circles are really big so we don't notice that that's what we're doing until years late we get back around to that point and we think we've moved on or we've moved forward and this idea of the the past embedded in the present and how that affects the future is is all very it's all very interesting and comes up a lot in the ways that I think about things, I think.
0: Because we have to look backwards to know that the treats trees were reddened, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know? I really like that idea.
1: That's- it's it is circular, isn't it? You know, we, we go around in the seasons, but we only know this happens because it happened before, and we can only know what we already know to some extent, is is an idea that I, I think I write about a lot.
0: Yeah. And I think the narrator when she says that she's going to send it to them, so they put it in their wallet. I think there was definitely someone else there. That's my that's my guess. There's someone else's wallet that she wants to put these the petals into.
1: I think it's. I, I think what I've tried to do is play with the idea so that, yeah, maybe at one point you might be sure it's one person, but then then another point you're reminded that actually you're not quite so sure about the. The absence, the presence of the absence. Mm. So it kind of leads you down one way, but then maybe makes you question that at different points.
0: Yeah, no, I could see that. Yeah. I think you do it very well. Yeah. I think one of the key lines in the poem is, as though love isn't changed by having loved. And that seems to be a kind of another key kind of, theme of the poem this idea of love Mm. and what it what it leaves behind or what kind of absences it creates
1: yeah and again it goes back to bergson's idea as well because if i could remember it more clearly that would make for a better podcast but this idea of things change once you've said them and you can't go back to what it it meant before you'd said this thing because it if we, if we use language, then language gets dulled because it it redu- reduces down in terms of the possibility of what it might mean. Right, okay. So when it's sort of exploring the idea of love, it's suggesting that it can't be the same. We don't experience the same things just because we're using the same language. Right, okay.
0: Is that why that at the end that there's um, the idea of dreaming birdsong because it then you don't have to use or use a different sort of language or it kind of...
1: Yeah, it's breaking down the idea of what, what language might be or what language language can do or how we might try to express ourselves differently.
0: To leave this unspoken way of being unspoken and so unchanged by language. So that's suggesting that you actually, you like you say, language limits or kind of... or. Um, uh, pin something down is in fact
1: yeah and I know we we question things around labels don't they we label things we label illnesses and things like that and on the one hand like people will argue really against it they don't want to be labelled we don't want to pigeonhole people and that's that's absolutely true but on the other hand if we have got nothing to express it then how do we talk about it and how do we understand it if we, if we can't express express things so is, there's a there's a there's a problem isn't there around language are we at what point do we stop using this so that we can learn more about it and start restricting what it is people can be or people can mean or feel or yeah. want or desire and all these things?
0: Hmm. I've got a few questions left for you. But uh, one of the things I'd like to ask you about is your use of lyrics in um, your poems. Uh, I, it seems to me that music has got a very important part in your in your life, in your writing life.
1: Yeah. I didn't necessarily know that. I mean, I, yeah, everybody likes music, don't they? What's not to like? But I think I wrote Envy's The Birds and I hadn't noticed how much music goes through it. And um, I don't know, I ended up making a playlist of the songs that are in it and you know, there's quite a lot of songs there and I hadn't noticed that I was doing that. I hadn't really understood that that's what I was doing, but I listen to a lot of music and I'm interested in, in it. I think, is it in correspondences that it must've been when, when Campbell died and Wichita Lyman was on the radio all of the time. And there was lots of radio programs talking about him and Jimmy Webb and this, this song and, Different versions of it, and all kinds of things that are all just it's all just it's a very interesting day listening to these things isn't it and it all just sits in there and and then that's how I spend my life i, I think writing is a for me anyway it's a lot about lolling around and um just absorbing what's going on and being interested in the world and and that's a big part of the world that I live in so listening to the radio, being interested in music, I collect vinyl and i'm um, wouldn't claim to be any kind of expert on anything but enjoy enjoy what i enjoy and it informs what i write so so i've got a playlist a little mixtape for emmy's the birds i've got a little mixtape for correspondences i've got a mixtape for the blue hour
0: The blue hour your forthcoming book john Cale. i went away and listened to this um do you like it i did i enjoyed it a lot yeah i really i really did like it it's an interesting song only because it's in it's on his first album mm-hmm. Post Velvet Underground, and it's the first song on his first album as well, I think. So it's a key, it's a key song, isn't it? Really, for him. And you enjoyed it. I did. Yeah. No, I did. I think it was, it was very uplifting. And I mean, I suppose this is, it, this whole idea of how you announce yourself as a as yeah. a as a an independent artist, sort of a, a standalone artist, rather than being part of a band.
1: You can't imagine how you would settle on any on any one song one poem whatever it is that it, it is that you do how would you say right this is this is the first one i i don't know what goes what what would have gone into that process somebody was asking me in relation to television that um how do they know when an album is finished and why does this album sound so different to this album and and so i i did talk about what my creative process is and how I come to the end of something. And partly you're running out steam, partly you're starting to tread over the same kinds of things that you've already done. Partly you just need that break. But then when you come back to it, maybe you don't want to do the same as you did before. Or maybe there are things that you can't shake off or maybe things that you want to carry, carry away, but come to a different album a, a angle. Yeah. But when you're moving from a, you know, a team sport to a individual, Making that first step—was it something they put a lot of thought into? Was it something that somebody else had an influence over? I don't know.
0: Mm. I think you know it—it it works really well with your with your poem in terms of this idea of time.
1: Yeah, I enjoy the kind of the I make mix. I make a mixtape every month, and it's always got a theme, and so it's a little exploratory. Time for me to kind of look at different songs. Some of the songs will be songs that I am already familiar with and I know about and think, Oh yeah, that'll fit on that. But part of it will just me be like searching through things that I don't know, but might work with that theme or artists that I might be interested in incorporating in songs that I haven't come across before. And it's, it's like a, a little discovery each month. I think this song was part of that. Familiar with some of John Cale's work. Um, and I really love the Velvet Underground. But I think that this song came out of that mm. exploration, and just happened to to work yeah. well with what I was doing. Yeah,
0: I like the idea of sending someone a cloud because it, partly it it obscures the sun. Um. So there's this, there's a it's not altogether straightforward. I think no. sending them a cloud, you know, because it's. But also, I do associate big white clouds with with blue skies, yeah. in summer. Yeah. skies so you need you for the the clouds and the sky I yeah think, the I
1: contrast th- is um is what makes you notice one thing or the other yeah. isn't it
0: everything's clear everything's bright what is it though underneath the big white cloud <laughs> i think you yes you do interpolate and stitch song lyrics fell very well into your poems again it's, it's this patchwork you, you you handle very well technically um and emotionally as well I think you know that's the other thing that you know there's sort of this emotional kind of pitch to the poems that you kind of write that are that's very strong I think so could you say something about the blue hour and possibly where this poem fits within the blue hour
1: this poem sits towards the end so the blue hour is made up of three sections and so when I wrote envies the birds I think I thought about sections but then felt that sections was too too much of a divide and created like little poems that sat between bigger poems so it wasn't a proper section break but there was like a little bit of a palate cleanser or sorbet or something going on there yeah um this one is definitely three sections so the first section is correspondences which has already been published as a pamphlet and I'm really pre- pleased to have gone back to reading that and find that I still still like the poem, so that's yeah. that's nice. And then, I don't know, there was a, a change in my life, so when I was writing the next section, which is called Hellebore, that was, a lot of that was, uh, there was a big commute going on in my life at the time, and so I had this time and space to think about things from a different point of view. i came towards the end of that and felt that that was enough of of that and but I I wanted to write more and also I've been doing a phd so some of these poems will be thinking about the the sort of philosophical ideas that have been coming through in the different chapters for there so there was another chapter that I was writing and so there was a kind of slightly different angle that I was thinking from um another change in my life so it felt like a separate chapter there's These things don't, you know, there's no autobiography. This is what I'm experiencing at the moment. It's not that kind of section break, but it's, it's, it's how it affects you, isn't it? And how it affects your interests. Yeah. And so I, I always write about something else to what I'm actually writing about. So that I use a lot of, you know, there was that series, the history of the world in a hundred objects. Yeah. There's quite a few objects come up in the third section. I'm not, obviously, I'm not really writing about those objects. I'm writing something else, but yeah. also about the objects. So it gives it a grounding. It gives it imagery and allows it to express other things without it all just sort of falling into a big, mushy heap.
0: Mm. No, I can't imagine ever that happening in your, um, in your work. It's, it always seems very planned, very structured, really. But there seems to be correspondences. the you track correspondences between poems as well? As mm. well as within poems
1: yeah yeah and I, I enjoy that I enjoy that um, revisiting and how I guess how things have changed but to take the same thing but then change it in some way yeah to create a new perspective on the old idea
0: hmm I mean you do write sequences
1: yeah yeah, and I, I, I think I always liked the idea of writing sequences, but never really thought I would be able to write sequences or would have that kind of stamina or longevity or whatever and then have accidentally written sequences.
0: Hmm. That's good. a That's good way of doing it. I <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, Angelina, for coming along this afternoon.
1: Well, it's not been so bad.
0: Good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Angelina DeRosa lives in Sheffield. She was a writing mentor with the Kersler Trust and writer-in-residence at Bank Street Arts, collaborating with artists, writers, photographers. Most recently, her work appears in Black Box Manifold and Shearsman Press. Her debut collection, Envys the Birds, was published by Longborough Press in 2016. The Blue Hour is Angelina's new collection and was released by Longborough at the end of 2023. To find out more about Angelina's work and explore this and other podcasts in the series, go to the website twowaypoetry.podbean.com or my website chris-jones.org.uk You can also follow me on X or Blue Sky, details of which are on the podcast website. The tune, Playing Over the Credits, was written by William Jones.